Hello, I'm Todd Starnes, lead pastor of Odessa First Assembly, and I'm grateful that you joined us today. I hope and pray that this message will encourage you and bless you. And remember, you can find more information about us at odessafirstassembly.com. God bless you. Uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. Now, when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Verse 16, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven." And as I was processing, thinking about, praying about how, what, how I wanted to break this apart and share, I think one of the schemes, one of the tactics of the enemy is that of division. The enemy loves working division. The enemy, you know, his schemes, he's lying, he's, he's cunning and all that, but he wants to bring about division. And I think in our culture right now, the season that we're in, I think so much points to that. It points to division. The, the pandemic is, it brings division. Social justice has brought division. Uh, the election year, just, uh, just simply being an election year, you see the division. And the enemy is going to do all that he can to bring division. And there's a reason for that because what is divided, what stands, a, 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 if we stand against one another, it weakens us. He can cause division in the home and a family. He can cause division in a church. He can cause division in a country. He's going to take every opportunity to bring division. But there is power in unity. If you remember the story of the, the Tower of Babel, you'll find it in Genesis chapter 11. The account of the Tower of Babel, it says, let us build ourselves a city, a tower to the heavens. And if you look in verses 6 through 8, you'll see this account of, of the people of Babel coming together and, and building this tower. And it gets the Lord's attention. And matter of fact, in verse 7, uh, right before verse 7, I mean, it says that they're going to be able to do this impossible thing. And in verse 7, it says, Come, let us go down and confuse their language. This is the Lord. So they may not understand another's speech. And so he's causing division so they couldn't build this tower to heaven. And I think it was at that moment the enemy kind of learned something about what dividing something can do. But we are to be a people that is unified. We are to be together. We're to be in one accord. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1.10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no division among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Now what this scripture is, is not saying is that you all need to think like me. That'd be kind of scary. Or if we all thought like you, maybe that'd be even a little scarier. I don't know. That's not what scripture is saying here. 
What it's saying is, what it's telling us is that we need to have an agreement on the foundation for which we stand. We, we, we have a, a belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he, he was crucified upon a cross, that He rose from the grave on the third day, that He's at the right hand of the Father. There are core things that we should all be in agreement on. And so, to be agreed that you all agree there'll be no vision of, division of, among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. And I'm really not, my focus this morning is really not just talking about, about unity, but I'm going to tell you something. When the church is unified, it is unstoppable. When we're all together on the same page, I'm going to tell you, I'm not start talking about the little C church of Odessa First Assembly, but the big C church, when we're all on the same page, it is unstoppable. I mean, the Bible tells us, look at this scripture, Matthew chapter 18 and verse 19, look what it says. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree about anything, everyone say anything, they ask Everyone say ask. So if two of you agree on earth about anything, they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Is that not a powerful promise? What unity brings us, what being on the same page brings us. And there's another one that we read about that comes to fruition in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. Do you remember what it says there? That they were all together in one place in one accord. And what happened on that day? That was the day that fire fell from heaven. That was the day of Pentecost. That was the day the church was born. And so when there was a group of people in the same place in one accord, what happened? The birth of the church. But see, the, the enemy, this, this scheme, this tactic, he, he wants to bring depression. He wants to bring anxiety, temptation, worldliness, uh, to give up, heaviness, oppression, possession even, loneliness, sickness. There's so many tactics of the enemy. But listen to me. When we are a people united, let me say it this way, when we are a church united, it gives us an authority and a protection that we don't get from anywhere else. And that's kind of what I want to open up to you as we talk about spiritual warfare. I mean, in spiritual warfare, in warfare period, I don't know about you, but I, I want to have power. Hello? Right? I mean, if I'm going to fight... I want the tools to win. If I'm going to fight, I want to know who's got my back. Right? Some of you, that may have been yesterday, but okay, anyway. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I want to, we, we need to come together in a place of unity. And so, how, what, what brings us together? What, what is the foundation we stand on? As we read Matthew chapter 16, we see something in the very first part. Matthew 16, 13, and it says what? Who do people say that I am? Who, Jesus asked the question, here they are. Jesus asked the question, who do people say that I am? And the, the, the disciples, they, they respond. They respond what? They respond with, with three different names there. They say, some say you're, you're John the Baptist. Maybe, you know, when, when if, uh, you know, some of you... Um, may have, uh, I mean, you know, a reputation. Somebody, you know, knows you in some way or regard. And, 
and, uh, because of the way that you've acted or, or how they've seen you act. And it was the same way with Jesus. And so maybe there was, you know, there was some that saw locking Jesus to John the Baptist because you know, John the Baptist was one. I mean, here he's preaching the kingdom of hand is, is, is at hand, is near. He was very direct in the things that he said. He was calling for repentance when he was preaching. And so maybe the, you know, these group of people, they, they were like, man, he's, like, he's just like John the Baptist. Or, or maybe some were seeing these miracles. You know, he was, Jesus was raising dead people, and he was feeding thousands of people, and, and there was these miracles happening. And so they said, maybe he's like Elijah. I mean, Elijah was an Old Testament prophet that, uh, through his ministry as a prophet, 31 miracles Elijah performed. And so maybe they say this area of Jesus, of him performing these miracles, and or maybe it's Jeremiah. I mean, Jeremiah is one that we call him the, the, the weeping prophet. I mean, Jeremiah, he was one that was broken over the people, over the Hebrew people, especially when they were going into captivity. And so he was broken. He had compassion among his people. And maybe they see this compassion that uh, Jesus had. And so they liken him to Jeremiah. Here's the thing, is that somebody... You, so everybody has their opinion about Jesus. Everybody has their, their thoughts about who, who Jesus is. I mean, actually, you know, now uh, there are secular scientists or historians that say, yes, there was a hi- historical man, Jesus. Of course, you know, they don't say that he's, you know, the son of God or anything like that, but they acknowledge there was a man, Jesus. Some people are very flippant about their opinion of Jesus. Some people see Jesus as maybe a get out of jail free card. Maybe they see Jesus as their homeboy. Maybe some of you probably have that t-shirt. Maybe. Don't wear it around me. That's not who Jesus is. Jesus is not the guy in my hip pocket that I pull out when I need him. Matter of fact, the Bible says that every tongue shall confess what? That he is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. And there's going to be a moment in time in the near future where every knee will bow and confess as such. Listen to me. There's a lot of opinions about Jesus, but Jesus follows up with this next question that's so important. These are, this may be what others are saying about me, but what do you say? Who do you say that I am? And I want to tell you, that's a very important question that each of us have to answer on our own. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? You know, I was looking at this in in Matthew 16, and it says, uh, of course, Simon, he says what? Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we know that Jesus That Peter gets it right, and he gets it right, but it's the revelation from the Father. There was something personal that happened there, that the light bulb went off for Peter. And so I'm asking you this morning, who is Jesus 
to you. Who do you say that he is? Listen to me. You are not going to encounter the, the true Jesus on the, on the coattails of a grandparent. Some of you are familiar with that saying. You're not going to encounter Jesus that way. You're not going to encounter Jesus just simply by hearing me preach. You're not going to hear Jesus. You're not going to encounter Jesus just by hearing others talk about him. It's got to be something personal for you. You've got to have the encounter with him. Are you with me this morning? I said, you've got to have the encounter with Jesus. It is critical to your faith. It is critical to the, the foundation which you set on. I mean, you are the Messiah means it's a promised deliverer, the anointed one. That's who he is. He is the son of the living God. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I, I was, as I was processing, and I, a, a, a scripture just kind of, I haven't really thought about it in a long time. Of course, I've, you know, I've read over it many times, but a, a, an account in scripture just kind of jumped out at me, and you find it in Acts chapter 19, and there's something that happens here in Acts chapter 19 and verse 11, and it says, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul. That sounds pretty good, right? Verse 12. So even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. Now, did that jump out at anybody else? I'm going to read it again. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus, those who had evil spirits. And then it goes, let me, let me, let, let me give you another hint. I adjure you by the, this is them talking, I adjure you by the name of Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Are you seeing it yet? Who Paul proclaims. And these, this possessed man responds, or the demons respond, and they say, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? Do you see what I'm trying to say here? They didn't know Jesus. And because they didn't know Jesus, they had no foundation of power to stand upon. Are you with me now? You see, you've, you've got to have that personal encounter with Jesus to be tapped in the power that he has for you. It just can't be something, oh, I, yeah, you know, I'm, you know, it, it'd be like me saying, it, it'd be like you confronting, I mean, you're, you're out there, man, you're on the street, you're on 8th Street, you got a bullhorn, and you're preaching the gospel. Can you see it? Can you see yourself doing it? If you do, that, I'm, never mind. I was about to call you out, man. Let's go, let's go do it. Anyway, so, I mean, you're out there, you got the bullhorn, you're preaching the gospel, and, and, and a, you come across a demon-possessed person. I mean, you wouldn't say, I mean, you know, if you looked at him and said, you know, that Jesus that Pastor Todd knows, I cast you out. I don't think that's going to work. <laughs> You've got to know that he's Lord. You've got to know that he's Lord over all. And it's got to be an encounter that you have. I mean, look what, I mean, look at the result, you know. I mean, 
And the man whom had evil spirit leapt on them, mastered all of them, overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. There's the answer to streaking right there. We know what's wrong with them. I think it's amazing to me, and I'm going to talk some about this in future sermons, but I remember one of the, one of the first um, deliverances that God used me to be a part of. It was a young lady, and, and I'm going to tell you that when that demonic spirit manifested, I saw things that I thought only happened in movies. I saw her slither like a snake, like she had no bones. I saw her, there was a, a row of four or five people sitting on a pew. I mean, this girl maybe weighed a buck ten, I mean, 110 pounds maybe. She bench pressed the pew up in the air. And then enemy does those type of things to strike fear into your heart. But I want to tell you, when we get it right, when we've had an encounter with Jesus, we know the power that we stand on. Are you with me? I said, we know the power that we stand on. We know the power that's our foundation. Jesus replied, he said, you know, Jesus said, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus responds, bless are you, Simon Barjona, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. We need a revelation from the Father about the reality of Jesus. We really do. I love this quote by Karl Barth. I, I wanted to share this with you this morning. The very man who knows the word of God. Listen. The man who knows the word of God also knows that he can bring no capability of his own to this knowledge. But he has first to receive all capability. We need God to open our eyes about the Son of God, about the Messiah. I mean, I share the scripture all the time. I has not seen, ears not heard, nor is in the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. But that scripture goes on to say, beginning in verse 10, but it's revealed to us by his spirit, for it's the spirit that searches the depths of God. And, it, and to kind of sum it up, what it also says is that, you know, the only people, the only person that knows really your heart is you. And it's the same with the Holy Spirit in God. It is the Holy Spirit that knows the depth in the heart of God. And it is the mission of the Holy Spirit to make it known to you. Wow. And he says, you're right, Simon. My father revealed this to you. It wasn't humans that revealed this to you. And so now... Your name is going to be Peter, and upon this rock, I'll build my church. Now listen to me. As we read that, as we look at that, I, this is where some talk about it being the, 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 the formation of, of the Catholic Church. That is not what happened right here. I believe what happened right here is it's upon our confession and who Jesus really is that sets us on the rock. It's our confession. See, if we get that wrong, then we don't stand on the firm foundation. We stand on the sand. Are you with me this morning? And so it is our confession and who Jesus really is that will set us on the rock. And then he says this. I'm going to set you upon this rock, this firm foundation, and I want you to know I will build my church it doesn't say right there that you know the growth strategist will build my church it hello 
It, it doesn't say that the TV personality will build my church. You know who that I is right there? That's Jesus. He says, I'll build my church. <laughs> I will build my church. And, that, and that's the second part of this. I will build my church. And, that, and I want you to catch a hold of this. I know I'm making this very, very simple. And, and you probably see this. But he says, we'll build. I will build. I'll build it. Listen to me. Whatever is going on around us, whatever that we're facing, whatever is happening in society, whatever is happening in government, whatever is going on in the streets, we need to know that in the middle of it all, that His promise still stands and Jesus will still build His church. That means His church is still going to be strong. His church is still going to be powerful. His church is not going to be weak. And that brings me to the second part of this. I'm not talking about church as some you know, out there entity that you're not a part of. See, when it says, I will build my, what? His ownership. He owns this thing. It is his church. It is, we, we may love our church, but it is not our church. It's his church. He bought it with his blood. It's his church. But what happens? We become the church. We say it all the time, right? That church isn't chic rock, it isn't it the two by fours, it isn't the pew and the carpets. What is it? It is us. It is his people. We are his people, the children of God. We are the church. And so listen to this. No matter what is happening out in the world, Jesus promises, I'm going to build you. Is that not good news? In the middle of it all, I'm going to strengthen you. In the middle of it all, I'm going to set you on a hill that cannot be hidden. In the middle of it all, you're going to be a strong church. What is the church? It is us. We are the called out ones. The, the assembly of the, the called out. I love this quote by C.H. Spurgeon. He said, sovereign grace can make strangers into sons. I love that because you know what? We've all got a past. We've all fell short. You, I know some of you, some of you might have been born on the front row of the church. I'm sure there is someone literally somewhere that was born in church. There has to be. But you know what? That doesn't make somebody closer to God. We all fall short of the glory of God. But he can take us, this broken, sinful humanity, and he can redeem us. And he can strengthen us. And he can build us. And he can use us. And he goes on to say, Matthew chapter 16. I'm so off my notes, I got to look at my Bible because I don't even know where I'm at. He goes on to say, Blessed are you, Simon, Bar Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father, who is in heaven, I tell you, our Peter on this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I mean, I, to me, somebody smarter than me might can describe this a little better, 
But to me, gates have two functions. Gates are either trying to keep something out or they're trying to keep something in. I remember years ago, Shaylee was really young, and of course you guys know that I love to hunt and all that kind of stuff. And, and so uh, I, had, I was working on some European mounts of some of the deer that I had shot. And um, if you know what that is, that's, you know, just making, you know, you having the horns and bleaching and everything. And I had them hanging on our fence in our backyard. Well, Shaylee invited some friends over who apparently didn't know anything about hunting. And we had a problem. The thing with our gate, our gate, um, it locked from the outside. So when you went in at the gate shut behind you, you were locked in our backyard. And I was gone. I was traveling somewhere. But Angela, she calls me. She goes, I was taking a nap, and I wake up to this, these blood-curdling screams. And so I go in the backyard, and there's kids trying to climb our fence and trying to get out of the yard because they walk right by all the European mountains. But anyway, so a gate is either trying to keep something in or trying to keep something out. I mean, look at this promise again. When you get the confession right, when you know, and you're on this rock, and it says what? And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Did you know the devil is trying to protect what he's got? Did you know that? The enemy's trying, whatever he's stolen, whatever he's robbed, He's trying to keep it away from you forever. He's trying to keep locked up behind those gates. He's trying to protect it. It always reminds me of the story where David, you remember the story, there's a story in the Old Testament where David, you know, they were out doing battle and he comes back and their camp had been raided and, and robbed and, and, the, and the women and children taken. And, and David asked you a question. The Bible says he inquires of the Lord. And he says, shall I pursue this band? And the Lord responded to him, you shall, you shall pursue this band and recover all. I love that scripture because to me it points to this very point in Matthew chapter 16. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it when you are standing on the rock. When you are on Jesus, whatever the enemy has stolen, whatever the enemy has robbed, whatever the enemy has taken, whatever the enemy has robbed from you, he cannot protect it anymore. Those gates cannot keep you out. Come on, somebody. And there's people that need to know that their healing is locked up behind those gates. Their salvation is locked up behind those gates. Their redemption is locked up behind those gates. Their wholeness is locked up behind those gates. And we need some people of God who's on the, who stands on the rock of Jesus to break down the gates and release it. It says... And I tell you, Peter, upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And it says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And that's always an interesting one to me. And, and, and there's all kinds of debate about what this specific thing means. But I'm going to tell you what I think it means. When it's talking about it gives you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. What he's saying is this, I don't, do you, I don't know if you, I, I know sometimes, I give you those, those epiphanies, right, that you're like, you're like, wow, these are keys. I, okay, you're confused, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll go slow. 
So I got keys on. I got I got the my church office key right here. I got I got my, I got the church key. Um, and so and what do we use keys to do? And so I, I have a really special key right here. Matter of fact, a really 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 special. Let me find it. Oh, my glasses on. So I'm having a, right there. This key is this key is to my father-in-law's farmhouse. That's a special key, and none of you have this key. <laughs> And so when I go to the farm, I get to go to the farmhouse, and, and I stick this in that deadbolt, and, and, I, and, and when you turn it, what happens? It, it unlocks the lock, right? And when the lock is unlocked, what do you get to do to the door? You get to do what? Man, you guys are smart. Some of you are homeschooled, I can tell. But... I, I do something else when I leave. I put this key back in that deadbolt, and I turn it the other way, and what does it do when I turn that deadbolt? It locks it. I mean, what is, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I mean, there, people have all kinds of, I mean, all kinds of opinions about this, but listen to me. Jesus says something in John chapter 20 and verse 23 that gives us uh, light on what's happening right here. And it's also a very kind of odd statement, if I, if I may say myself, but Jesus says that whoever you forgive will be forgiven, and whoever you don't forgive won't be forgiven. I mean, that's an interesting statement, right? Because I don't, I mean, I know I can, if somebody has, if, if, if somebody offended me, I can forgive them. I have that power. But I can't absolve your sin. I can't wash your sins away. So what is Jesus saying here? What he's saying is this. is because of this, because you stand on this rock. Because I'm your foundation. The gates of hell cannot prevail against you. And I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. And what that means is he's given you the ability to open the door to point people to the rock. Do you hear me? He's, it's just not about me up here behind this pulpit. It's for all of us in this room. He has given you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. He wants his kingdom built. And he does that in a very special way. He flings open the doors and he says, it doesn't matter if you're a prostitute. It doesn't matter if you're a drug addict. It doesn't matter if you're immoral. It doesn't matter if you're a liar. It doesn't matter if you're a cheater. It doesn't matter about your past. Come. Come. Are you guys awake? You have the opportunity to point people to the kingdom, to point people to Jesus. As a matter of fact, he's commanded us to do so. Upon this rock I'll build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. And then we get to another very interesting moment. And it says this, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I mean, if you have been in a spirit-filled or Pentecostal charismatic church any amount of time, surely you've responded to the altar call. You had somebody coming by, and they were praying, and all passionate and yelling in your ear, and, 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 you know, we're, and we're saying things like, you know, oh, just we, we loose heaven, we loose. And then the next person, you know, you get prayed for again, and they're coming by, and they're like, oh, we bind the devil. We just bind. And we're like, loose, bind? What are you talking about? 
right? Anybody ever experienced that, you know? Let go, hold on. <laughs> but see, when Jesus came and he suffered those stripes upon his back, those nails in his hand and his feet, that crown of thorns upon his head, he was placed on that cross, and the Bible says if he be lifted up, he'll draw men unto him. But he was lifted on that cross, and a spear placed in his side where blood and water flowed. He was taken off that cross, and he was put into a borrowed man's tomb, a, a, tomb, a borrowed tomb. But we also know what Scripture tells us is what happened on the third day. So he rose again, didn't he? And he fulfilled every promise that he said he would fulfill. And some of those had to do with the relationship to the enemy. Matter of fact, in one place it says that Jesus Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. And matter of fact, there's another place in Scripture it says that because what Jesus suffered on the cross, that he stripped the enemy of all of his weapons. Isn't that a powerful promise? So what, how does that relate to this? Well, see, in Jesus, when in Luke chapter 4, I don't have time to go into all the details of how this is just not coincidence, and it was actually, I'll just give a really, just a really short synopsis of what's happening here. It was Jewish tradition, they would read through all the Old Testament, I mean what we call the Old Testament, they'd read through the law, the old scriptures, and the prophets. And so, at a certain age, every male had to read three to four verses, and you knew those verses in advance, but you, I mean, the thing is this, is you got to think the, the, the odds of Jesus, I mean, showing up at the temple, I mean, it's not like he just turned and started reading out of Isaiah 61, those were the scriptures assigned to him at birth, think about that for a moment, I know you're thinking, well, what's the scripture you're talking about? Well, in Isaiah chapter 61, to say on Luke 4, I'll get there in a second, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor, sent me to bind the broken heart, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and opening prisoner, the prison to those who are bound. And in Luke 4, we see Jesus read this verse. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Jesus, Jesus is reading this. Because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, and he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. You know what's, you know what's important to know about where he's sitting? In the temple, there was a, there was a, a seat that was reserved for the Messiah. And no one ever sat in it until Jesus at this moment. Think about that. So he sits down and he says, What today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. So let me give you, we're just, it's not that we just get to loose and bind anything and everything at will that we want to, but listen to me, we get to make the announcement of freedom. We have been given the keys of the kingdom to open up the door 
and say, God has called me, he's anointed me to preach the gospel. And I know that you've been locked up in that prison. Come on, somebody. I know that you've been locked up behind that, in that darkness and, and those bars. I, I know you think you have to live that sinful lifestyle. But can I just tell you that the grace of heaven has been loosed upon you. So would you come in to the door with me? Would you, would you come with me? We get to make that announcement that there is freedom. There is forgiveness. I think that excites me more than excites you. I don't know. It's the Spirit of the Lord. So think about this. I, I, you know, we're, we're not God. I'm, I'm not at all trying to say that, but God has chosen you to be His vessel. And so what He's placed upon you is that anointing to preach the good news to those that need it. He wants to pour out of you. He wants you to announce, to confess to speak out that people don't have to be locked up in that prison anymore or those bars anymore. If they're bound by an infirmity or sickness, he says, call upon the elders of the church and, and pray the prayer of faith, anoint with oil, and they shall recover. They shall be healed. He has laid that anointing upon you. He's loosed that anointing. He's poured it out upon you to use you. To use you. And so I ask, who around you is bound? Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope that this message was an encouragement to you. Remember, you can find more about us at odessafirstassembly.com and also across the social media platforms. It is our prayer that God blesses you, keeps you, sustains you, and if you're ever in the area of the Permian Basin, come and join us at Odessa First Assembly. God bless you.